Adam is always like half a beat behind the drum. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like there's some delay between our interactions here that's causing that. Anyway. That, that is possible. I've actually wondered if it isn't a delay since you're in Canada. <laughs> that's true. Canada yes. just naturally We're, behind. They think I'm... They think I'm slow, eh? In Canada? <laughs> no, but I mean, that sounds stupid, and I this may be nothing about actual internets, which I don't know, but it feel... But I think there's, like, a thing where it is jumping networks line, and I'm just realizing I am so out of my depth talking about this, I shouldn't. It's all good. Fair enough. That it slows down because it has to jump from one phone line to another, like a guy jumping out of a train onto another train. That's how you explain it to old people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> it, it, yes. Yes, I am simplifying it for the old people, <laughs> not because I don't know yeah. what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> it's cold here, so the electricity is sluggish. In Indeed. Canada. Yes, uh, that's how it works. Yeah. I didn't see you there. What the hell are you doing in my house? Oh, well, no matter. Why don't you sit down, get cozy, and let us pour you a nice cool glass of obnoxious internet content. Yes, it's time once again for Destroy All Clickbait, the podcast that asks, No, really, what the hell are you doing in my house? With me, as always, are Ing and Avi. Hello. Oh, hoi. Hello. Doing the Howdy Doody voice. We're here, um... On a, a a day, we've got we we've been raring to go on this one for a while, so we've got some uh, some stuff to do, and we're gonna we're gonna pare down the length of these uh, now. We're gonna be uh, going for under an hour now, so um, get ready for that excitement, I guess. Um, so which which wh- what shall we tackle today first? What's everybody in the mood for? Because we've got four stories here, so. Right. Let's look at this Disney one, which I... This is one that I tie into some of the damn kids get off my lawn ranting uh-huh. that I've been feeling all this week, so uh. I've already oh. got momentum built up for this. Oh, oh okay. you're going to be the old man yelling at the kids to get off your lawn. Okay. Actually, yeah. <laughs> okay, so so apparently this is an article. <laughs> Sorry. Getting over a cold. Uh, this Kira is Knightley art- watching on the Twitch stream takes out her death note. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> How dare they? Well, if she's going after anyone, she's going after the Mary Sue who published this article. Um, yeah. Because it, I have a feeling this was one of these things where, you know, she just talked vaguely about something and it got blown up into an article because they got <laughs> a celebrity. No, I'm saying that without having read the article properly. But Kira Knightley uh, commented on uh, how she doesn't let her kids watch certain Disney movies, um, including Cinderella and the Little Mermaid. Well, specifically her three-year-old daughter. <sighs> 
I mean, Disney describes Cinderella as being relatively proactive because she she herself went to the castle. The guy coming to her, even though he didn't really come to her, was kind of inconsequential to that. Like, it happened as a result of her going. Um, although I do agree with her on the bit on The Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, just to be clear, so the idea is that she doesn't, yeah, if they're not, if they're not feminist, it's a concern. That they're not, they're not instilling good values uh, in her three-year-old daughter. Right. Uh, and she's even saying, like, oh, I like these, but, you know, I don't want them, the my daughter watching them at this point in her life, basically. I don't know if she says I'll let her watch them when she's six or something. No, she doesn't. It doesn't seem to go to that as far as I can tell. Mostly the article goes on to say that Disney has made some pretty feminist movies. So there are certainly movies for her daughter to watch. If, if classic, like as in, in the era of Walt and then in the era of early Renaissance, uh, doesn't fit with her, her perceptions. And this is interesting because people have noticed that as far as passing the Bendel test, Sleeping Beauty actually passes it with flying colors. It's, it's <laughs> because of the three, uh... because of the three fairies, like it passes it with flying colors because they all interact and they don't talk about men. <laughs> <laughs> actually, even right. if you include Aurora in that, the four of them talk without having to talk about a guy. So it's kind of interesting. Um, well, it was funny. I was, I saw, I, when I saw Sleeping Beauty as an adult for the first time a few years ago, I was struck by how Aurora is just this non-entity in the story. She's basically an object for the prince to go after. And it's the three fairies who are essentially the leads of the story. I would actually argue against that. It's more that her animation is so goddamn subtle that any personality she has, you have to really watch for it. Same thing with the prince. They both have extremely subtle animations that if you don't watch for it, you're going to miss it. Well, they're pretty forgettable and you got to feel like oh, yeah. it's like, yeah, we've done this, you know, 15 times by now with the princess and the prince and yep. la, 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 la. Oh, yeah. But, um, well, the animators who animated them were bored as hell animating them, but they also <laughs> knew that they got those characters because they're the best at doing those yeah. characters. So, okay. Okay. yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know the backstory. I just know that when I watched it, the princess especially doesn't have that much screen time. No. I mean, she's literally asleep for a big chunk of the movie. She's either a baby or she's asleep, yeah. And Maleficent, of course, gets to dominate and the three bad fairies. And the prince gets to fight a big dragon at the climax, so he's got kind of a heroic big moment. Which always, and it always felt a little out of whack also in The Little Mermaid. Something similar happens where it's all about her and then the climax is... Is him running a ship into Ursula, yeah. yeah. Of him heroically killing a fat person with a missing mast. <laughs> Not just a fat person, but an enlarged fat person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes. Who was based off of a drag queen. So Yes. And the scene itself is a homage to the Call of Cthulhu, so Ah, interesting. Okay. Did they have they said that? It's specific enough that it Okay, that's how Cthulhu is quote unquote killed in the Call of Cthulhu. Really? Right. right. With the spoiler there that Cthulhu is pierced through the heart through the missing mask, but... Spoiler is, what's dead can never die. Yeah, he basically just kind of evaporates and reforms. Uh Uh-huh. And the only reason why he goes back to sleep is that the stars are not yet right, so... Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. 
Interesting. That, that story is extremely uh, arbitrary, in my opinion. The pl- Lovecraft's just like, and then a monster attacks, and then Cthulhu's dead and won't wake until the end of the world. Except now he's awake. Except now he hit him with a ship. So now he's going back to sleep. Oh, God. <laughs> and then I threw goes. a boat at him. <laughs> Basically, yes. Oh. That's what happens. Yeah. But in any case, I think having grown up with most of the movies... Like, Cinderella, when I was young, was my favorite movie. And the reason why it was my favorite movie had absolutely nothing to do with the romance, had absolutely nothing to do with the prince, and had absolutely everything to do with the fact that Cinderella gets a giant sparkly dress. Uh-huh. I am not every single little girl in the world, but I'm pretty sure that's something that a lot of them are thinking about when they watch a lot of these movies. <laughs> See, I was going to take a guess that, and this might be because I'm thinking of my, my wife, mm-hmm. that the appeal would be the mice. Ah, yes. That too. I think the scene with the mice and them trying to get co- kernels of corn, I think it is, is is probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the plot. For me, it's tooling around in the pumpkin carriage. I mean, that's a pretty sweet ride, right? Mm-hmm. And again, it's Cinderella is more of a character, but uh, she kind of gets the mice and the birds and nonsense kind of dominate over her to an extent as well. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because all the stuff with Cinderella, you remember, is the uh, Salakadula preparing for the ball stuff. I'm actually scratching my head trying to remember how the climax of that one works. <laughs> like, I don't remember a big fight scene at the climax of that one. Unlike... I'm pretty sure you can consider the climax is when Lady Tremaine, the stepmother, locks Cinderella in her in her room so she can't get out. So then all of the mice have to figure out how to steal the key, get it all the way up the tower, and unlock her. And unlock her from yeah, her room. There's no third act climax where the prince fucking attacks the stepmother with a sword. <laughs> yeah. so, holy shit, would that just be fucking wonderful? Yeah. I said that as a joke. I know. But what if it did end like that? <laughs> like there's a lost cut where the last third of Cinderella just slides into I spit on your grave with her taking revenge against her stepfamily. Oh my god. Fighting them off with a glass shank made out of the shoe. <laughs> well, I mean the original Have you ever... The original yeah, story, they she puts them in hot hot shoes, which is basically iron right. shoes that have been they heated make... on. No no no. That yeah. is Oh no, that's Snow uh, White. That's Snow White. I think in one version birds randomly pluck their eyes out. But it's only the stepsisters, it's not the stepmother. If you go to the really early version, instead of directly intervention of a fairy godmother, it's sort of a vague god is helping her or in one version she goes to her mother's grave and prays on her mother's grave and a tree sprouts and gives her everything she needs yeah her mother dies and then she plants a tree at her mother's grave and then the tree gives her everything and the birds that pluck out her sisters her stepsister's eyes are birds that live in the tree Right, yeah, so it's all kind of being engineered from beyond the grave by her mother is sort of the impl- implication in some versions of the yeah. story. Okay, that's one implication, but oh, it's... a really interesting, if we're doing another take of this, mm-hmm. could just be that Cinderella is fucking Carrie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, Spear Havoc mentions that one version of Cinderella has where the stepsisters cut off part of their feet. Um, one stepsister cuts off her toes, and the other one cuts off her heel. Okay, I gotta I gotta mention the fact that Roll. I don't know if you've ever read Roll Dolls Revolting Rhymes. Um, he does his no, actually. Of the various, 
So Roald Dahl did versions of the various fairy tales, and the one with Cinderella is you're you're making me remember uh-huh. that Cinderella is the prince starts does in fact go on an orgy of cutting off everyone's head and like the wicked stepsisters and at first it's like yeah they deserved it they had it coming mm-hmm. and then uh, the Cinderella basically realizes my the prince is a psycho I don't want to see him again uh-huh. and, and runs away oh basically. my god oh of course he does. Yes. Prince just starts whacking everyone's head off. Where it turns out, oh, hey, the prince is a bit of a sociopath. Not yep. a good situation. Well, With that's... a foot fetish. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino Cinderella. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. You're not wrong. <laughs> oh my God. And again, I said it as a joke, but holy shit, I really want, like, a horror movie. Uh-huh. Or, like, a... Thr- thriller movie that now basically is a version of Cinderella, but just where she's Carrie. There was a similar theory somebody had about Ebenezer Scrooge that he was sort of, he had supernatural mental powers and was generating images. His subconscious was generating images and like doing all these things and like killed Marley psychokinetically. And anyway. Oh my God. (laughs) Is this in, wait, wait, if I'm, if I'm hearing this right, does this mean that Scrooge is in some way like a psychic, vampire so that the reason tiny tim gets better is because scrooge stops <laughs> leeching off of the life force oh of family. or he even gives it back like he actually starts to give it to tiny tim yeah right <laughs> holy yeah, fuck does yes. is ebenezer scrooge really like john coffee from Be the green mile oh my god that would be that would be Make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Oh, <laughs> man. No, it would make no you sense. You entirely missed your calling going into banking, sir! <sighs> yeah. Oh, my fuck. You had supernatural powers this whole time. Ebenezer is the second coming of Christ, but corrupted by the world into evil! Oh, my God. <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> so he's the Antichrist, then? Well, I mean, if we're going... Because in The Green Mile, John Coffey is implied to be the second coming. Really? Right. Okay. Right. It's been a while or, since I've watched The the, the Green Mile, so... Yeah. Well, I would have I read him as more of just... I mean, he's a Christ figure. Yeah, yeah. certainly. He was, he was more of a saint-type figure than specifically the second coming of Christ. But I don't know. Like, I mean... I don't know enough that... Bible to be able to say for sure, personally, yeah. but that's... Well, I... it, because of specifically, like, the end where the narrator reveals that he's seemingly not aging, or is he... Right. Or oh, yeah. like, that he's not dying of old age, and that's directly referencing yeah. the myth of the lone centurion, or the loginist, that uh, right. Jesus' executioner somehow was right. cursed with like prolonged or internal life. Oh. Presumably until the second coming he had to right. walk the earth. Right. Huh. Yeah. I mean, okay, so I'm not saying whether he's literally that, but it is stories that King was tapping into for that. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No, it's definitely the Christ story on a prison, basically. And and he is he's yeah, he's it's actually more the wandering Jew is kind of the character they were thinking of too. The guy who didn't, you know have a get, home get necessarily, program. yeah. Well, he didn't get with the program, so he would never die. That was mm-hmm. the first. I didn't. Yeah, I've heard, there's there's a few different characters apparently related to the Christ myth who just did not. Sorry, sorry to call it a myth, people. Yeah, 
Well, no, it fits, because even if you accept that it's happened, there's an elaborate yeah. tradition of folklores and retellings and reinterpretations exactly. that falls right. into myth. Yeah. Right. The myth, the mythos in the larger sense. Anyway, it was... Um, <laughs> the a, Jesus uh, Christ expanded mythos. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> the EU. The AU. The OT, OTEU, yeah. Anyway, the King yes. James Extended Universe. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Seventh Seal. Uh, no. They deal with that character. Mm. Uh, the idea that, like, there's someone who actually is trying to cause the apocalypse because he is, I believe, this Longinus, the Centurion that uh, uh, Ing mentioned, who's he's lived forever and he's, like, sick of it, so he wants the world to end <laughs> so that he can stop mm. living forever, basically. Which is a cool motivation for Hermagen. It makes complete sense, basically. Yeah. But he's sort of the bad guy in that story. There's a version of the folklore where it's the centurion and then there's one where it is somebody who i think either mocked jesus or right. refused to aid him in carrying the cross it was something yeah. where he was addicted was... to jesus as he was being crucified and yeah, that yeah. becomes the wandering jew one yeah which... that was that was swears. it was jesus stopped for a moment in somebody's um doorstep and like a, i think it was a shoe seller and he said go go get out of here i can't you can't stay on my doorstep and jesus said i will go but you'll be here when i return and that was his curse of eternal life basically and yeah ahasuerus i believe the character's name hmm. yeah um, but yeah. you can see why kind of the preferred one i think in modern time is the centurion right. because yeah. Yeah. yeah it skirts less into anti-semitism yeah. <laughs> right yeah. exactly it is an anti-semitic like it's another thing where it's almost interpreting it as that's why jews are forced to roam the earth and not have a home like they, he's a stand-in uh, for the entire uh, you know uh judaism basically but you know although he's he's like semi-sympathetic in some tellings too i mean it's complicated but anyway well yeah yeah because i mean if you are going the story just as told there Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, being a dick to Jesus. It's like, please don't stay here because if you dally, Romans will beat me up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a pretty logical reason. Everyone in that story who is kind of like, even the ones who are more overtly mean, it's clearly they're like, yeah, but there's a dude there with a spear is going to stab me if I'm not jeering you loudly enough. You know what I mean? Like, that's the subtext of the whole thing. The, the whole story with the Barabbas as well, uh, who who was let go in Jesus's place, basically. They were going to let one guy go and one guy get crucified and they chose Barabbas. Mm. And it was kind of like, you know. Which, which want... I got to point out is almost certainly an entirely added. Oh, yeah fiction there because for one it does it does not match anything with roman governance no and for the other it is specifically there so that the jews can explicitly be to blame for the crucifixion rather than the romans because the church at that time was trying to get in good with one of those people yeah one of those groups and not the other so and yeah and the the whole thing where he washes his hands and it's like that's just blatantly like oh we put that in later so the romans are cool and the jews aren't you know like Mm. very obviously no which reading any of the history of pontius pilate what we know about him Mm -hmm. the attempts to make him Mm -hmm. seem sympathetic and compassionate are kind of fucking hilarious (laughs) yeah and such a severe jolt Mm -hmm. from what we know about him historically as honestly being a huge fucking bastard who hated everyone in judea oh my god (sighs) basically he was 
put in charge of Judea because he was one of the people that was seen that he's politically successful enough mm-hmm. that he might be potentially down the line a contender for emperor. Uh-huh. So ah. when, ba- so basically he was, air quote, promoted, but f- promoted far away from Rome. Mm-hmm. And he seemingly absolutely hated all of it. Anyway, we should probably get to the next one because we got way off topic. Yeah. That was a nice tangent. <laughs> I was gonna do a rant on how that it seems that like wokeness in general is trying to just recreate Puritan joylessness in an effort to be ideologically pure in that. But I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about that. And we literally got distracted uh, that somehow went from the Little Mermaid to Jesus, so... Yeah, (laughs) that was pretty amazing how we made to that. We made Eh, that leap. Not too much of a leap, considering how many many particularly European fairy tales are all Christian allegories. And thus the devil took Jesus out into the wilderness and says, Sell me your voice! I wanted to do Millennials Kill Again, the latest victim, American ah, Cheese. Yes. American Cheese. Yes. American Cheese that will one. never die. It has too many preservatives. Bye bye, American Cheese. Don't want you on my sandwich. I'll take provolone, please. <laughs> This is another one where we get the side things of other articles on the site. Yeah. And we could probably just do this podcast as a 24-hour continuous stream. Oh, yeah, definitely. Looking through these, and I just have to share just the title of this one, which is Hard Times in Candyland. And it it has an icon of a gummy bear and a noose. Well, the noose is made out of a gummy snake. So Even let's... still, but it's a noose. Yes, and it's it doesn't blame millennials, but it does say that people are eating too healthy and this is bad for the candy industry. <laughs> The candy industry is not going to die. I I'm worry. sorry, this is such a fucking non-story. Parents don't want to buy candy for their kids. This is not... This is the, like, epitome of not news. Oh my yeah. god. I worked at a chocolate st- store. Trust me, people will buy candy if they want candy. Savi specifically had to sing songs whenever somebody met an what? untimely fate at the candy store. That is correct, yes. What? Yeah. What... Wait a minute. Okay. Oh, because of Oompa Loompa. I guess. Yeah, it's part so, of the it's yeah. part of the Loompa Union. Mm. I, I see. For a second, I thought you were literally describing your actual job because oh, that no. didn't seem completely implausible. <laughs> no, ex- no, that you would have to sing to people as they bought candy. No, anyway. I did work at uh, jo- Joe's Crab Shack. I don't have to do any singing and dancing. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, not as they buy candy, only if they be an unfortunate fate. So oh, if somebody, right. like, slipped on the freshly mopped floor, it would just be all the employees coming out and singing insensitive songs to them as they're pulled away <laughs> as a, on a stretcher. Yep. Yeah. Oh, there was that one time where the mall almost got set on fire, so that happened once. Wait, what? Yeah, it was like the weekend before Christmas, and where the bus stop is, a lot of dry leaves collects. So somebody was smoking a cigarette and instead of de- getting rid of it properly, apparently threw it into the dried leaves so they lit on fire. And yeah, the mall kind of was set on fire and fire trucks had to come and then they had to evacuate everybody temporarily. <laughs> it was great. 
It was great. You see, kids, smoking kills Christmas. <laughs> Back to the cheese one, though. It is. Uh, uh-huh. It is interesting how they always find the the most terrible, like bland, horrible things, mm-hmm. and then bewail that millennials are killing them as if that was like this huge loss. It was always like the the napkin industry and the the you know mayonnaise as we discussed in an yeah. earlier podcast millennials are killing mayonnaise so now they're killing american cheese and is anyone actually sad about that i'm gonna be honest i buy american cheese because you know okay put it on a sandwich i'm also gonna be honest that you buy it because it is the cheapest thing mm-hmm. that technically still is cheese as an experience <laughs> yes which you, you don't is buy the role it because it you want it you buy it because it's theoretically cheese and it and it will give but you a cheese like texture when is, you're eating something it is the baseline of the bare minimum of cheese every other cheese is that plus yes like the only time american cheese really tastes good is if you're making a grilled cheese sandwich only time any other time, another cheese is more preferable. Even then, you could probably get away with a oh, yeah. mix of Swiss and a sharp cheddar. Yeah. yeah. Well, technically, oh, gotta... American cheese is supposed to be, like, a very, very subpar cheddar. Like, if you go to the deli and you get American cheese at the deli instead of buying, you know, Kraft Singles. Um... Which, to be honest, I do get the deli one of American cheese. Yeah. So it's, it is much less like just eating cheese-flavored wax paper. Yeah, so. okay. yeah exactly. Well, that's, okay, see, that's the thing. Because I, I was just saying, is it, like, you can get a big-ass, I don't know what it's like in America, but mm-hmm. in Canada, you can get a big brick of good cheddar for, like, six bucks. So like why get why and that's probably more than you get in a package of American cheese. So why not just get that and have some real tasty cheese instead of this, you know, plastic garbage that I think when Kraft Singles was a thing, like a really big thing, it had a lot to do with latchkey kids and stuff like that. They needed an easy way to market something that was easy for kids to make. So pre-sliced bread uh, and deli meat with a cheese that you don't have to cut necessarily makes a lot of sense if you're a latchkey kid. Uh, also, looking it up, American cheese mm-hmm. on average is a dollar less per pound than any other cheese. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That that well, does I seem to be the it's... case whenever I go to the yeah. deli section. Yeah. So if you if you leave out all the cheese, then you can save money on your cheese. Great. That's terrific. Indeed. Think, of all the things to skimp on, cheese is like the last thing I would do because you can put cheese on all this other garbage <laughs> and make it taste better and make it more like in a good sandwich, as you say, a grilled cheese sandwich or veggie burgers. Put enough cheese on it and it tastes good anyway. You know, and it's like ketchup, you know, for some people. Not necessarily for myself, but, mm. you know, it's one of those things where you get it and you garnish it and it makes everything taste better. So why would you skimp on that <laughs> and not something else, you know? But voila. And even even with cheese, there's like, there's a bunch of cheap types of cheese you could get, like Bonbel or Vashki Ri. I don't know if they have Vashki Ri in uh, Laughing Cow in America. We have Laughing Cow. Yeah, okay, we call it Vashki Ri in Canada, but it's the same thing. It's that little, I guess it's Brie cheese no not brie uh camembert yeah um, i think it's more like camembert yeah 
but it's just really cheap camembert. But yeah. it's delicious. Like I've actually never back. had it, so oh, <laughs> or Bob I Bell. Like it. I mean, I grew up. Yeah, so these are and Bon Bell's the one where it's uh, I guess it's uh, Gouda or Edam. And you, you, I just know Edam, that they're the they are the ones that come wrapped in wax and individual right. thingies. Yeah, so they've got the same like ease of use as American cheese, but they actually taste like cheese. <laughs> they're actually you know tasty and mm. make things taste good. Yeah, Vashkiri. I'm I personally I've grew up eating them, so I'm kind of addicted. But I grew up eating American cheese too, and I I grew out of that. <laughs> so yeah, like I like I said, I feel like it's a very specific generation. It was latched to, and kids really aren't like that anymore. You mm. know. I'm also gonna point out that. It's a very mild taste. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, yeah. y- you know, Avi, we have friends that find uh, mayonnaise as too spicy, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so it it has an audience for people who want a cheese, but cannot handle, I'm trying to think of a non-judgmental way of saying that they can't handle flavor. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's you can just say white pe- peopling, white people. Anyways. Well, and the elderly. It's what I have referred to in my mother's cooking as coworker food. It's the food she cooks for her coworkers because they can't handle anything spicy. <laughs> it's odd that they're saying American cheeses have been dying. I've been noticing though from my deli purchases, mm-hmm. uh, white American cheese has seemingly been getting very popular. It's because it doesn't. Because technically, that weird yellowish color is a food coloring. Like yeah. cheddar is supposed to be, <laughs> cheddar is supposed to be more of that kind of creamy white color, not really that weird yellowish color. So, from what I'm looking up on mm-hmm. why cheeses are yellow, there, yeah, is that strong yellow and orange cheeses, when you know they're not just food colored, yeah, are supposed to get that because they're seasoned with annatto. Oh, okay. I have noticed, at least in the deli version, mm-hmm. the yellow American cheese and the white taste different so at least in our deli okay they seem to be serving like the store brand cheese are genuinely flavored and not just colored yeah and that and i could believe that of deli cheese but like again craft singles no the the, the white stuff and the yellow stuff tastes the same <laughs> also i have to imagine that this is the most boring fucking conversation not only that has ever been said on our podcast but in the history of the world i don't know we talked about mayonnaise (laughs) and i once listened to my family talk for three straight hours (laughs) about the benefits and downsides to various strains of corn as i cried silently my face at my hands and my wife delightfully edged on the conversation (laughs) to see how long it would go Oh, nice lady. And the (laughs) genuine, non-exaggerated answer is in excess of three hours these people will fucking talk about corn. Are they actually farmers? Farmers and people raised by farmers, so... Exactly. The only spice anyone ever needs, and this is actually true, is just eat turmeric. Add turmeric to every single meal and you'll be healthy. (laughs) It's not about healthy, it's about tasty. You don't I taste like... the turmeric, it just turns your food yellow. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> let's move, yeah, let's move on to Red Dead to talk about. So, and I really do want to talk about the Red Dead Redemption article, which just dropped today. It is very 
Based, very simply, a writer for uh, Polygon claims that Red Dead Redemption is the best Western ever made in any medium. And this is extremely stupid. I don't think anyone is going to disagree with me on this. This is someone desperately trying to seem, I don't know, contrarian? Not even contrarian, just like... My favorite part of this article is that they, he literally stops and lists... Mm-hmm. A whole ton of westerns, and says yes, it's better than Unforgiven and and Shane and The Searchers, Stagecoach, Riders of the Purple Sage, The Wild Bunch, Blazing Saddles, Tombstone, Red River, Gunsmoke. Whatever you care to pull from the barrel, Red Dead Redemption is better than that western. First of all, I don't believe for a second he's seen all those movies, if any of them. Probably I think not. That he literally he literally Googled westerns to drop in and say hey remember the scene in magnificent seven where the seven <laughs> just chase rabbits on horseback firing shotguns at them for three hours uh, yeah, yeah. or we'd just go into a saloon and play poker until nobody wanted to play anymore <laughs> remember the remember the glitch in unforgiven where clint eastwood was like flying around in the sky in the distance for a, in one scene Remember the time in the searchers where it loaded the texture modules for animals onto the wire models for people? Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. I actually do have, like, just a folder on my computer that's a compilation of Red Dead really? Redemption uh, yeah, glitches yes. oh. of stuff like that with the horrible coyote people in oh. that. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah it was a famously... A glitchy game, apparently. Which is also amazing that I never managed to get one of those glitches when I played it. Aww. <coughs> Isn't that just the way, whenever you want yeah. a glitch to show up, yeah. it doesn't show up? Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's Bethesda. Well, yeah. You got 99 problems, but a glitch ain't one. Mm. Oh! I had to say it, sorry. It's okay. all good. <laughs> like, this article is also way too fucking long. <laughs> Like, he goes into such detail as to all of the shit he does in this game, and it's just kind of like... Yeah, his his rationale is just like, it's pretty. That's that's really all he's... It's like riding around in the real Old West, and on well, a horse. And part like, of me wants to be like, okay, you can also do that in Breath of the Wild. Same exact concept. Is Breath of the Wild a really good Western game? No! It's not, because it isn't supposed to be. <laughs> Red Dead actually is very good at capturing, like, mm -hmm. a feel of Western. Okay. Like, sure. like the horses actually do not respond mm -hmm. accurately, like they wouldn't say Breath of the Wild. Right. Because they are basically programmed to kind of have their own agenda, and it seems to be... <laughs> well. I don't trust this horse. He has his own agenda. So, this horse is paid off by Soros! Um, <laughs> no, but it's the thing that, like, Breath of the Wild, you're riding a horse and you're controlling a horse. Mm. In Red Dead Redemption, you're really not controlling the horse. You're okay. on... You're on a horse and you're trying to steer it to get it to do what you want it to. Gotcha. That sounds fun? Mm. Question mark? <laughs> And the fact that it is kind of fun, well, be because it's an intentional design thing rather than shitty, like it's intentionally shitty controls, but it kind of fe it feels right. So it's kind of the like atmosphere. Octodad. Yeah, uh, no, not that fun. <laughs> it's 
Okay, I'm trying to say that I can see some of where you can say that the game is well designed okay. yeah. to give the feel of a Western okay. and yeah. gets that, but... But to say it's the best Western thing that ever Westerned... No, I mean... <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. I don't know if any video game can be the best thing of its genre, just by the nature of the medium there. In terms of, like, in terms of thinking of the genre as western thriller horror etc probably not just because yeah. you can't because games are interactive movies are not well, interactive they're yeah. not completely I mean, different storytelling mediums it raises an interesting question yeah like can you actually compare that that's like that's an actually interesting concept but they don't engage with that at Oh, oh really? It's, it's literally like, it doesn't yeah. feel like he knows anything about classic westerns at all. Like, at one point he says, uh, Red Dead Redemption, more than any other western, save open range, deals with the death of the west and renders its demise under the sweeping tide of civilization as something just as savage and cruel as its birth. That's every fucking western <laughs> ever made! That is literally the, the definition of what westerns are about for all, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Literally yeah. like... As the first westerns, like silent films, were being made, mm-hmm. when the West was still that was that was actually during the time of the Wild West, yeah, and they were already about that about the vanishing West. Buffalo Bill's Wild West show was about that, mm-hmm. and that was you know starring all the actual people who had been in the Wild West at the time. So like. As long as the, people have acknowledged the existence of the Wild West, it's yeah. been fading, and we've been talking about the the, the you know the the uh, the end the end of the Wild West. Mm-hmm. So this is just a guy who really doesn't know what he's talking about. In other words, no. an open range is the one that he says. Is like it is an interesting thing to talk about for like kind of video game B mm-hmm. a good example of its genre, and I think yeah. the answer definitely is. Yes, but then looking at, like, how do they do that? Because it's a lot harder to look at, like, the exact knit and gritty of what makes it work right? that way. Yeah. Um, and, like, people have been comparing in terms of genre video games and movies for a while. And it's just kind of like, at the end of the day, you can't compare them in that fashion. You can... You can compare them as far as, like, storytelling beats and, and like, actual yeah. technical and mechanical things like that. But in terms of, like, what the overall experience is, they're two completely different things. Yeah, so. yeah I would say that if you're trying to replicate the beats of anything, video mm-hmm. games would be better at replicating a limited TV series. Yeah, that would... Because that, that <laughs> I'm sense. trying to think of which ones, in my mind, like, really hit the of captured what they were going for well mm-hmm. and the two things that I was thinking of is the Persona series. Okay. Persona 4 and 5 mm-hmm. which very much does have a very anime series like feel mm-hmm. and Mass Effect 2 which, which I think in some ways does feel like a series like The Expanse but there's okay. also just the way that the pacing there it would not be a good movie. Right. Yeah. And and I mean, it's to, to me. I stopped playing video games before they became these heavily cinematic things. Like okay. it was always, and when I played games, it was always 
you're jumping into the game and here, you, there you are and you have to shoot the things that are coming at you. And that was almost the only story you got. Right. And if there was any story, it was like, oh, the princess has been kidnapped. you got to go rescue her. Something are you like a bad that. enough dude to rescue the president from ninjas? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think, are you a bad enough dude to I rescue I think the it took like 20 years later for somebody to find out that Doom, the original Doom, did in fact have a plot and it was very anti-capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just, it doesn't, and in many cases it doesn't matter. And to me, so it always seems weird to me that there's always, there's always, there's always talk about the story and the characters and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't, if I want to watch a movie, I'll watch a movie. And, and the thing about video games is it's kind of okay for them to rehash mm-hmm. existing movies and existing TV shows because it's, the idea is just, it's that, but now you can play it and be it. Right. And they're like, okay, that's kind of cool, mm-hmm. obviously. But... Up and, oh, I will say there was the exception, which was the LucasArts games. Those, of course, had a story. And click, point and click adventure games are a little bit different. Oh, for sure. In terms of their structure, so. But but I mean, just the fact that that type of because game because their structure been... is effectively that you're doing kind of a D and D game yeah. over the mail with somebody who's an absolute psychotic. Yeah, right. whether it's LucasArts or Sierra, yeah. Sierra, yeah. a lot more. A lot more with Sierra, definitely. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Good old fashioned moon logic. Why am I making a fake mustache out of cat hair? Why is this a thing? <laughs> <laughs> so I like those games. Those were cool. Those were fun games to play. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a different. It felt weird to me that they've now put that and in the same games where you're running around shooting guys all the time. And like I like I watched uh, my friend play Red Dead Redemption a bit. My only real exposure to Red Dead Redemption because I haven't played it otherwise. I don't have a game system or anything. It's he got on a on a cart and the guy was just giving him this elaborate backstory. And to be fair, you were playing the game. You were riding on this cart and. Mm-hmm. driving over some wilderness and stuff, so it wasn't like you were just sitting and watching. But it was just going on and on and on about what was happening, and it wasn't... And from what I've seen, most games do not have the most compelling dialogue or the most compelling... And so, why? And I feel like they could be done in like half the time, and they're just kind of showing off, oh, hey, we've got all this dialogue, we've got characters, and we got blah, 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 blah. It's like, it would be a virtue to trim that to the... Even in a movie, it's a virtue mm-hmm. to trim down the amount of dialogue, the amount of like unnecessary scenes mm-hmm. that help you convey the story. You watch a, you know, Spun Time in the West or another Sergio Leone Western, and apparently Clint Eastwood, when they were shooting, I don't know if it was Good, Bad, the Ugly or uh, Fistful of Dollars, but apparently he wrote the original script had all kinds of dialogue for his characters, and Eastwood actually came in the first time I've ever heard of an actor doing this and like said, no, we're cutting this dialogue. I'm just, we're going to do it pure visually. Hmm. It's just going to be me exchanging a look with that guy and that guy. And we're looking and like, it's all going to be visual acting and that's going to, that's going to convey the story. And he was a hundred percent right. That's how it worked. Uh, and it's what makes those movies so memorable is that it's all done as much as possible with the visuals and not the dialogue. Right. And, Video games, if anything, should be more of that. It shouldn't be reliant on dialogue. So when you have pages and pages of dialogue in a video game, I feel like you're not really doing your job, guys. You should be getting to the gameplay. You would think, but a lot of people are really bad at picking up visual cues. Mm. Really bad. And uh, Rihanna Pratchett, daughter of Terry Pratchett, because we have to bring Discworld into this somehow. She, I don't remember <laughs> when she said this, but she said something along the lines of, with video games, because that's what she does, she writes for video games, with video games, the writing is the last thing that they do. 
<laughs> so right. the game is basically made before they end up throwing any of like the writing or the dialogue into it. And it's incredibly hard to write for a game as a result of that because you basically have to make all of that dialogue fit for whatever they've made. And that's probably the reason why you have the complaints that you do, that it doesn't make any goddamn sense that like all of this weird exposition happens, and it's literally because the game developers don't know any other way of doing it, so they're like, they give it to a writer, and the writer has to figure out how to make it re even remotely compelling, and then it goes to voiceover actors who have to try to interject some kind of personality in. So, But I mean, for the longest time, nobody cared about the... Practical story. logic of a video game, like not even the story, but like you would mm -hmm. you would be playing a game and like a leg of meat would fall on the ground and you would eat it and gain health. Like, oh yeah, nobody cared that Ball that didn't meat. make any sense. Yeah, it's a game. It's stylized to an extent. It's abstracted to an extent. So I don't require realism in my game, just as I don't require like oh if I'm going from point A to point B, well that's a uh, five-day journey, so it better take five days of real time of oh, me God. walking there. Of course I don't want that. <laughs> I want a stylized version of that, basically. Mm. I'm not playing a video game for realism. And yet, it kind of seems, and again, without, I'm not a big, I don't play games, uh, the modern games, but from what I've seen, there's that kind of, well, we gotta be realistic about it. <laughs> and I don't think that's true. Well, there was a weird push for realism in the 2000s because they realized, oh, we finally have, like, the technology to do this, so we need to do this. And thankfully, there's been pushback going in the other direction where it's like, well, we did the thing, so now we don't really need to do the thing anymore, so let's 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 get a little more creative. Not every developer is doing that, obviously, but you'd probably like Shovel Knight, then. If, you, if, if you, You'd like Shovel Knight. It's it's very clever and it's and it and it has just the right amount of believability in it. <laughs> okay. The knight who wields a shovel? Yes. 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 Okay. He wields a shovel. Hence his name mm -hmm. Shovel Knight. And it's like Mega Man in that all the enemies are blank knight, including my favorite name ever of just King Knight. King Knight. <laughs> Emperor Zombie. Um, yeah, um, yeah. but you say that about that the dialogue isn't good or important, but there are games where basically the dialogue is indeed your reward for completing a section. Yeah. Okay. And it gets it very well, the Portal series, which it's no. also worth pointing out, as far as games go, they're actually fairly short. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's to the thing, but entirely your reward for getting through the puzzles there are to continue on the dialogue segments. Okay, which I... are very witty and typically very genuinely funny. Yeah. Well, I'll just... See, yeah, that that's fine. I'm not saying you can't have a fun... And again, I like the LucasArts games. They had witty dialogue, and they were yeah. entertaining stories. Uh, I just... I remember... You'd like, a... you'd like Portal, because it's... Well, it Portal what? reminded me as a sort of thing, almost like a Disney ride... Uh -huh. Almost like Star Tours, where you have the one character who banters with you or just <laughs> right. yells at you, and that's pretty yeah. much what Portal is. Since sure, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. I, I, I that's all fine. I just I always think of the story of my friend who played. Uh, I think it was one of the Solid Snake games or the Snake uh, Metal Gear. Metal Solid Gear Two. Okay. Um, and he oh, said yeah. that he he played that game and he was playing it like late at night. It was like one a.m. Yeah. And he finally beat the game at one a.m. and went, oh, now I get to see the final. And so they played the cut. The 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 final cutscene is the length of a movie. Yeah. Metal 
yeah, Metal Gear Solid is a weird is a weird case study for that because well, it's because Hideo Kojima wanted to become a film director, but he ended up doing video games instead, and and the later Metal Gear games ended up being very much like right. movies with interactability rather than games with movie features. Exactly. But I was going to say, yeah, the Metal Gear things, though, stand out because it's Hideo Kojima, mm. who's also known for being really experimental with yeah. what can games do as a medium. Yeah. Laying with the game as a medium for telling a story and seeing what you can do with it. Yeah. And I and I and I think a lot of your complaints come from other people trying to copy Metal Gear Solid because it was so successful and not realizing what they were what Hideo Kojima was trying to do and trying to expand on it rather than just copy it. So not all experiments are success. I don't yeah. think the uh movie length cutscene at the end is something that he's replicated. Hmm. That he's done again, even though he's tried it. Yeah. But he seems to be more and more moving towards the idea of trying to integrate, to move away from cutscenes and integrate the story into gameplay. Right, yeah. Which is what you need to do. Which, well, <laughs> considering that, what, Silent Hills was cancelled, and that was legitimately one of the scariest games that a lot of people had played for a while, um, and then it was cancelled after a demo... <laughs> Yeah, that upset a lot of people because it actually looked really interesting, um, and it was a really good demo. And it was a very hey, good demo. It, it had a lot because, of layers to it because it was, and it was actually a very interesting ghost story, mm -hmm. and it was told entirely through the gameplay and discovery there. Yeah, and you know it. Right. was Hideo Kojima and yeah. Guillermo del Toro oh, with God. some art direction by Jinji Ito, and for some reason they cancelled that, so you can see why people collectively flipped a shit over it. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he was also leaving the company, so kind of coincided with that, and yeah. It wasn't well, he... It was cancelled because he, he left, yeah. Left. And, and he was having issues with Konami at that point anyway, so... So yeah, because everyone has issues with Konami. Yeah, they're just a pachinko game machine company yeah. now. They just put boobs on everything, and you can play pachinko. Yay! <laughs> Boob pachinko, bounce those balls off the nipples quickly. That—that that is what pachinko is apparently. I you don't know what pachinko, pachinko is. That's okay. <laughs> no, no, I. I... I actually do know what Pachinko is. I know okay. it's a little, it's a like coin-operated game that's popular in Japan. Basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it does. It's it's almost like uh, a fruit machine in. <laughs> or a, I think actually on that note, uh, we're we're sort of hitting our limit, so yeah. maybe we should uh, wrap it up. Any any. Uh, final do we want to just touch quickly? Because here's one that I don't even really want to read, but I get feel obligated. We need to say it for the sake of contemporary in the news thing. Let me just read it aloud. Sarah Silverman, for some reason, informs uh. us she used to let Louis C.K. masturbate in front of her. Uh. With consent. With yeah. consent. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Are we sure uh, she wasn't joking? Uh, no, okay. I, geez. I actually read through this. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's... And the obvious joke is that literally nobody asked or wanted to know this. No. 
which is entirely true, but to Silverman's defense somewhat, she seems to be, like, saying that this is something they did as friends, and and also drawing a line of why that was okay, but what he did with other people was not okay. Okay. I mean, obviously, yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but it's also kind of like that... you did not have to share this with the class. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. Please sit down. We we all would have preferred if you had not said anything. Yeah. yeah. It just makes not helping. both of y'all look even weirder. And it's not like, yeah, no, stop. <sighs> I mean, at this point, it's like, the sooner we stop talking about Louis C.K., the better. Yes, please. Yeah. So let's stop. (laughs) Yeah. So So we will. Yes. Fair enough. Louis C.K., we'll talk about him in ten years. He'll be Then he can do his comeback. No, no comeback. Dude, phrasing! (laughs) None. No comeback. Fair enough. Stop saying well, come back at this context! <laughs> He'll return. Adam, just end us off. He'll explode back onto the th- the scene with a... Anyway, okay. Um, Don't okay, die. fair enough. I guess we'll... Yes, I guess uh, we'll wrap it up here. Um, so, uh, again, all, all the links we've discussed in today's show will be underneath the video or, or uh, uh, audio. Uh, so, and you can leave comments as well. Uh, and we have links to our Patreons. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a Patreon for one or all of us. You'll get access to comics and art as well as getting to hear the show at least a few days early. And I wanted to give a shout out to Jack Furick, who wrote our theme song. Woo! And finally, a reminder that I'm on Twitter as Prankster36. Ing is Ing Dammit. And Avi is Avi Via Vey. And yes. you can follow one or all of us for updates, including notifications for when we're doing the Twitch stream, because Heard. we do record this live show, li- show live on Twitch, as we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good night from all of us here at the show, and from all the desperate attention speaker- seekers out there churning the internet chum bucket. We'll see you again next week. Oh, Bye. also, we are going to be trying to switch to weekly. We'll see how that goes. Oh, that's right, yes. It's going to be a weekly show uh, if we can swing it the next little while but as you can see they're also a little bit shorter now they were getting a bit mammoth so uh, we're gonna cut those down yeah. uh, all right so uh, good night friends have a good night we'll see you all in the funny pages bye, bye.